We are going to be continuing through Acts today through our series that we have been in for a while called Spread, How to Live When We No Longer Have Home Court Advantage. And many times that it doesn't feel like we have people fighting for us or people on our side or people that are cheering us on. It kind of seems like we're out here alone doing this thing. But I love it because the early church had the same experiences. The early church was actually a part of something that was considered a cult at that time called the Way. Um, they were out alone, many of them. God sent many of them out to uh, one other person to go out and spread this good news that there was a new and a better covenant, that it was a new day. And last week, T.D. spoke about how Peter was called. He was given a vision um, from the Lord, and he was called to go to Cornelius's house. Now, Cornelius, as we know from last week, he was a centurion, which was basically a Roman soldier. Um, he was pretty much the face of Rome, and Rome and Israel were not like buddies. And so basically, Peter is being called to someone who is his exact opposite, someone who looks so different than him, who is different, a different culture, a different race, a different people group, and a leader in that difference. But Jesus began to speak, and God began to give visions of a new thing that God was doing. And Peter, last week we saw in Acts, when he gets to Cornelius' house, he even begins to explain, look, this is taboo. Like, good Jewish people don't do this. Like, the fact that I'm under your roof right now is not cool. My friends are not going to like this. This does not happen. This is something that only God could do, and only God has allowed me to be here because this does not happen. Um, he knew that this was a new day and Israelites at this time, look, they began to believe that they were God's favorites, that Israel is God's favorite people, that we as the Jews are God's favorites. But what's interesting is God's heart has always been to use Israel and to use his people to reach everyone. The heart of God has always been for everyone. It had always been that Israel was going to reach everyone. Look, it had been about Israel and it had been about the Jewish people. They began to believe that God's heart was only for them. And we know that this isn't true. And now we have Peter on mission going to the uncomfortable places, the place where he was now an outsider. Like he was sitting in this home and he was now the outsider. He was the one that like didn't get the inside jokes, right? He was the one that was going off, off of his home turf out of his places that he knew and he's experienced and he understood. He was out in no man's land with someone so different under that person's roof. And it's hard, right, to get off our home turf, to give up our home court advantage. And if you've ever moved or maybe you've had a job transition where you, like, used to be somebody at this job and then you start a new job and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm at the bottom of the ladder now. And I used to be somebody at this place, and now I don't even know where they keep their files at. And, like, it's all disorienting that, oh, my gosh, I'm new. Like, I remember when we moved here, or when I even moved to California at the age of, like, 18, and I moved to California, and I was like, wow, this, I'm not in Oklahoma anymore, right? And they even would say, like, where's Oklahoma? I remember people being like, is it by Montana? And I'm like, no, like, you don't even know where it's at. Like, it's in the middle, everybody. It's in the middle. Like, and still there's a debate with my California friends. Is Oklahoma the south or is it the Midwest? Or is it the, and I'm like, I don't even know. It's like, there. I was in a new place, a different place, a opposite place. And then I moved here. And it was just orienting again. I remember people within weeks of us being here were telling us about their uncles and aunts and great cousins, and I'm like, 
what's your name? Like, I don't even know your name, let alone, like, who your cousin is or what I'm praying for because I didn't, we weren't handed a handbook of, like, here's a list of the people in the city and their experiences, right? Like, we had to get to know everyone. Like, we didn't know anyone here. We didn't have backgrounds for people or the experience of people. It took me a year to figure out a lot of people are related in this church. I didn't even know that because I didn't know, And when we come to new places, when we're not in our home turf or our home court advantage, it can be very disorienting. But I love it because this is where Peter sat. Under the house of a house that he's never been at, of a Roman centurion, someone so different than him. He didn't get the insider lingo. He had put himself in a position to be the outsider. He had put himself in a position where he no longer had home court advantage. He took a back seat who God had called him to. And we see that Jesus told his followers, and Peter would have known this, Jesus told them that they would be witnesses to Jerusalem. And we see this taking place in Acts 2, earlier in these passages of Acts. And he said, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem and to Samaria. We see Samaria happening in Acts 8. And then he says, and to the ends of the earth. And here Peter sat with Cornelius and Geographically, this was not the ends of the earth, but I'm telling you, these people were worlds apart. To Peter, he's like, man, I am really doing what Jesus said because I have just made it to the ends of the earth. This person is so different than me. This person is worlds apart from my mindset, my customs, my systems. He was going where Jesus had called him to go. And T.D. mentioned this last week, and I love it that these two men came together in a new meeting place, where once there was the temple was their meeting place, now the meeting place was Jesus. The place where these two men could come together, could have common ground amidst all their differences, and they met in Jesus. It's such a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for this world and for people. And look, Peter watched Jesus talk about all nations and anyone and everyone. But this was like a new concept for Peter. This was a new thing that God was doing, was opening his eyes. We watched a show a few years ago called 24. I don't know if any of you have watched it. Um, We ended up stopping to watch it because it was literally like the same show just on repeat over and over. It's like the same thing that's happening. There's a terrorist in Jack Bauer. He's got to figure out where the terrorist at and get to the terrorist before the bomb goes off and it's super suspenseful and this whole time you're like, oh my gosh, but like the fifth season in, you're like, okay, like I get it. There's going to be a terrorist. You're going to go save the day. It's the same thing. But have you ever done this thing where like maybe you played a video game and then you went out in the world and you actually were like seeing things through the lens of this video game? Like you felt like you were in it. And that's how I became with a show called 24 because Before, I would walk outside and be like, oh, there's a helicopter. Cool. And now I would walk outside and be like, Jack Bauer's in the helicopter. Like, there's got to be a terrorist. He's going to save the day. And no one even knows. Everyone's clueless to the fact that, like, this is happening. You know, I began to see the world so differently. But it was like the same people, the same situations, the same helicopter I could have seen the day before the episode. But now I was seeing things differently. But this is where Peter was. Look, he knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus. Jesus explained God's heart to him. But here, sitting in Cornelius' house, his eyes are being opened, and he's beginning to see God's heart with new perspective, with new understanding. He was beginning to see the same thing, but it was being illuminated to him, a new revelation. God was also changing Peter. 
this moment between these two people groups coming together, both being changed by Jesus. So here we pick up as Peter is sitting in the house of Cornelius and his friends, and he begins to share the truth of who God is. This is very much like what a missionary would do when they go to someone's house or what we do if we're sharing the word of God with somebody. And so this is where Peter's at. He's about to introduce Cornelius to Jesus. And I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're just going to go back and break it down. And starting in verse 34, it'll be up on the screen. Let me take a drink first. Trying to avoid coughing like crazy again. Anyway, it says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Look, I think we think that this passage is like right after Jesus died and resurrected and here Peter's off and doing all this cool work. This is like 10 years and maybe a little bit over 10 years from the time Jesus died and resurrected. And this is Peter who knew Jesus face to face, who saw all this happen, and he's saying, I now realize. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in, the Ju- in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses who God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to fa- testify that he was the one who God appointed as judge over the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins throughout his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So let's just look at that first verse. Peter said, I now realize Over 10 years have passed, and Peter is now still beginning to have mindset changes. He's still beginning to see people differently. Look, Peter was having this John 3.16 moment, right? Oh, my gosh. He really does love all the children of the world, right? Even the Gentile ones. He really did come for the whole world. This guy that followed Jesus was still having to change his mindsets that had been rooted in this religious, strategic world. And he was beginning to have an awakening to what God was up to. God really did love the whole world. Peter was continuing to experience God's heart, what it had always been. In Isaiah, we see that God, and this is the Old Testament, right, a part of the Old Covenant, and God shares in Isaiah, he says, that his temple would be a place for all nations. Peter would have known this, and he's still, now he's sitting in another nation's house, and he's like, oh, I now get it. I get it. Now that I'm under the same roof, God's opening my eyes. God has a heart for all people. But when the temple at that time had become one of the most segregated places. And I think we like to think back about this, but let me tell you today, what is probably the most segregated day of the week? Sundays. Sometimes we look a lot like the temple. 
And we see Jesus during this time, and Peter would have known this. He would have seen this. And we see Jesus, when he visits the temple, who is what? God's heart in, like, human form walking on this earth. And he goes to the temple, and we know the story, that Jesus begins to flip the table of the merchants at the temple. And I think we can read through this, and we're like, oh, of course, Jesus was flipping the money tables because he doesn't want money exchanged in his temple. It's about money. It's about finances. But what's interesting is what was happening at the temple is that the outsiders, all the people who are not Jewish, would have to come to the temple and exchange their money for Jewish money because their money wasn't good enough at the temple. They had to use Jewish coins. And then with the Jewish coins, they then had to buy Jewish sacrifices and lambs and unblemished sheep so that they can make sacrifices, but theirs weren't good enough. They had to buy the Jewish sacrifices so that they could do and participate in the temple. And then on the outskirts of the temple, not on the inner courts, but on the outskirts of the temple is where all the women would sit because we have menstrual cycles. So we weren't allowed in because we were unclean. So all the women and all the outsiders, the non-Jews, would sit on the outskirts. And you know where all these merchant tables were? On the outskirts, taking up all the space for all the outsiders who wanted to participate in the temple. So when we see Jesus flipping these tables, Jesus is making a statement that my temple is for all nations. My temple is not just for the Jews. My temple is not just for the Jewish men. And it even says in the scripture, when you're reading about him flipping the temples, it even says that he made space for those people on the outskirts. He flipped up those tables saying, hey, now there's room for you. You can sit here. Hey, your coins are good enough. You are a part of this temple. And when this is happening, what does he refer back to? God's heart in Isaiah that says, my temple will be a place for all nations. So this isn't just a statement about money being exchanged in the church. This is a statement about all nations getting to participate in what God is doing. He was making a statement here about God's heart for people, people who were on the outside. God's heart has always been for all people. And Jesus once again is saying, hey, guys, no more clean up here and unclean back there. There's coming a day when these worlds will merge, where all nations can come together under Jesus. This had always been God's heart, but look, Jewish custom and the systems had made it very easy for segregation. If I can't eat the same food as you, I can't sit at the same table as you. Right? I mean, these were struggles and things they had to leap over to have community with one another. If you're unclean and I'm clean, we can't participate together. But Jesus had broken down those barriers. And God's heart, it was a new day, was being spoken and was being welcoming in people in a new way. And here we have Peter now walking out God's heart, sitting in Cornelius' home. Look, it's one thing to know God's heart. And it's another to be, like, sitting in it. <laughs> I mean, I think we can know God loves all people, right? I think we know that. But when's the last time we sat in the home of someone who is opposite of us and had dinner with them? It's in those moments where God's heart begins to become pretty real. Because, like, this isn't easy. This isn't comfortable. Wow, God, you love them. <laughs> like, we begin to see God's heart in a new way, and this is what was happening here. 
Peter was sitting in the home of a Roman, a centurion, under his roof, on his turf, with his friends, he was becoming an outsider for the other person. But man, this is God's heart. And then he begins to say, and I love this because he begins to say, look, Cornelius, you know about God. He started with what they had in common, like you know about God. You know the God of Israel. And then he begins to go on and say, let me tell you what I have witnessed as a witness to Jesus Christ. And then he starts going, and the verses continue, and it says, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews. They killed him by hanging him on the cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses who God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And I love this because he's saying, look, he wasn't just like an apparition or like a ghost that like showed up walking around to people. No, no, no. Us who knew him actually sat with him, ate with him, drank with him. This was an actual human who had raised from the dead and was tangible and physical, and we saw him. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he was the one who got appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophesies testify to him, testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He's basically saying, look, Cornelius, the God that you know, the God that you've been looking at, that you've been wondering about, that you've been watching, that you have worshipped and prayed to, the God that you've worshipped from afar, he's done all this. A part, this is a part of his global plan to make everything right, and Jesus has made it possible. God has fulfilled the, purpose for, the purposes for which he called Israel in the first place. And he's saying, and you know what, and you, Cornelius, and everyone who believes, you get to come in the door. You're welcome. You are welcome to now participate in this. You don't have to stand far off anymore. You can come in the door where forgiveness is, writ is written. You can come in. It's almost as if Cornelius, up until this point, we see prior in Scripture that he was praying to God. It was almost like he had his face pressed up against a glass, saying, God, I see you, but can I come in? Can I come in? Am I welcomed in, and can I take part in this? God, I see you. God, I'll pray to you, but, like, can I come in? And here Peter is saying, look, you can come in. You are welcomed here now. You are a part of this whole thing. Man. And I love it because Peter also refers to Jesus in this passage as, passage as the judge of the living and the dead. And I think so many times we hear this word judge and we get like a fear-based mentality or like, oof, God's the judge. Yeesh. What's interesting here is Cornelius would have understood that judges are not partial. They don't take sides. And so Cornelius is understanding, well, Jesus is the judge, and he's not partial. I get to come in. And I love it. As this is even being talked about, like, the Holy Spirit, God doesn't wait for, like, an altar call. The Holy Spirit begins to break forth because these people were believing and having faith in him. And while Peter was speaking these words, it goes on to say, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Look, they were astonished. These people who 10 years after the resurrection, they had walked with Jesus. They had seen how he loved the leper, how he loved the outcast, how he walked with these people, how he healed these people. And they're still astonished. But what's interesting is they knew that Cornelius could be saved. They understood that. But what's happening here 
is Cornelius is experiencing the Holy Spirit the same way they did. So this is like earth shattering. This is astonishing to them. Like, wait, you're being filled? You, the Gentile, the Roman soldier, are being filled the same way me, the Holy Jew, has been filled? Oh, you're being empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit in the same way we have been? Look, the Spirit was equalizing the playing field. All are welcome. And look, tongues are not the only evidence of the Holy Spirit, but it was a sign that couldn't be ignored by these people. The Gentiles received the same Spirit they did, in the same way they did. But in the home of Cornelius, not in the temple courts, not in a Jewish upper room, but here at the ends of the earth with a different people group, the same Holy Spirit was falling. And look, the purpose is clear. I love this. It says, Peter and those with him need to know that these uncircumcised people have been regarded by the Holy Spirit as fit vessels to be filled with his presence and voice. That is what's meant by Peter's opening statement that God has no favorites. This does not mean that God runs the world as a democracy or that he simply validates and accepts everyone's opinion about everything or everyone's lifestyle. But it does mean that there are no ethnic, geographical, cultural, or moral barriers any longer in the way of anyone and everyone being offered forgiveness and new life. Cornelius didn't want God to tolerate him. He wanted to be welcomed, forgiven, healed, and transformed, and he was. Man, this is where Cornelius is like welcomed into the fam. People knew in this day the Holy Spirit was a sign that you are a part of the covenant people of God. So here Cornelius is now a part of the covenant people of God, and Peter was watching this happen to a different race, a different culture, different person, someone who had different sides, different political sides at this time, and the Holy Spirit was pouring into him. Look, there's no home court advantage here. But it's happening under the roof of an outsider in an unfamiliar place to Peter. But I love it because not just is it happening in an outsider's home, it's happening within the outsider. Home court advantage is now being spread out to where we all have it. The Holy Spirit becomes our home court advantage. We all can be empowered. And this happens without the laying on of hands, without even being baptized, without circumcision. This was showing that Cornelius is becoming a part of the covenant people by faith alone. This was astonishing for people. The Holy Spirit had equaled the playing field. And I love it because not now, not just was Cornelius a part of the mission, like we've got to go reach Cornelius. He, Cornelius is now being filled with the Holy Spirit so that he could be a part of of going and being a part of the mission. He now was on equal playing fields with Peter, and now they both were empowered with the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples. God doesn't just welcome Cornelius in. He equips him at the same time to be a part of the mission of God, a part of this movement. We see earlier in Acts that Peter, he was in Joppa. Joppa was a, a city by the sea. And we see Jonah also in Joppa when God called him to go to Nineveh, to them, <laughs> to the other person. 
And we know that Jonah didn't really like the idea. He's like, I'd rather stay here with us and not go to them because I like us and I like the ocean and I like this home court advantage. I like what I got going on here. And we know how that went. Jonah got swallowed by a big fish, ended up still going to Nineveh, still going to those people. But here we have Paul or Peter, and Peter's struggling. I mean, it says that Peter was struggling. At first he's like, God, I can't go to them. That's not what we're supposed to do. But Peter goes. He leaves the coast, and he goes to the other person. Two very different responses. But what is our response today? When Jesus and, or God asks us to go to those people or to change our mindset about those people, what is our response today? Is it like Jonah <coughs> or is it more like Peter? Are we like, no, God, not Nineveh, not happening, are we like, you know what, God, this is hard for me. Maybe I'm prejudiced towards that, but God, change me. I'll go. I'll go. Two very different responses. Look, Peter, at this time, even 10 years after the resurrection, is still coming out of his old covenant thinking. And he walked and talked with Jesus. And he is still coming out of his old covenant thinking. And I think sometimes we think, well, I've walked with God my whole life. I don't have any old covenant thinking. <laughs> but what in us is God saying, hey, let me give you some revelation. Let me talk to you about your prejudice or the way that you think about that people group or the way you think about that person or that family member. What mindsets need to be changed? And look, I know some of us, we love being like that sassy person. I grew up in Oklahoma, and I know that there's, I grew up around a lot of Oklahoma men who just like to push buttons and see how you respond. Um, and I know that we like that. Some of us like being those people are just like stating our mind, and like if they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. Like, but let me tell you, everything that we say, everything that we put on social media, and I'm not saying we can't make mistakes, but we've got to be aware that there are Cornelius's with their face pressed up against the glass. And everything you post and everything you say, they are interpreting whether they are welcomed in or not. Man, I'm nothing like that person, but with their communicate, I'm interested in God, but I need to know if I'm welcomed in or not. And many of us would rather make a statement and speak truth than actually communicate, you too are welcome in. You too, a person with a totally different worldview and a political stance, and you're from Rome, and I'm a Jew, and like, but man, there's no barrier on invitation. We get to be people who introduce Corneliuses to Jesus. But we see here, too, in the scriptures that Peter begins to say, man, this happened, so like, who am I to stand in the way of them being baptized? Man, God is showing me that he sees them as fit vessels for his glory and for him to reside within. Who am I to stay in the way and stand in the way and hinder this from being done? We see this also in scripture when the disciples were like, send the kids away. They're being a nuisance. And what is the words that God uses? Don't let anyone hinder them from coming to me. God makes it clear that we have a role to play in whether people think they're welcomed in or whether we communicate a hindrance. He's allowed us that privilege and that partnership to either communicate a welcoming stance or to communicate a hindrance stance. 
But what do we communicate today? And will we sit under the same roof with those with a different cultural experience or views? We welcome in the one that's worlds apart from us. And look, not just welcome them in, but will we experience Jesus alongside them? Because what's happening here is like, yeah, Cornelius is experiencing conversion, but you know what? Peter's experiencing his own conversion. <laughs> Peter's experiencing like God's heart in a new way that he's ever experienced. And Cornelius is also experiencing God's heart. These two men so different are not just coming together and one's doing the ministry and one's the partaker of the ministry. No, they're coming together and ministering to one another. And do we sit with people just like, oh, you're the object of my mission. Let me get you saved. Let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you what you need to start doing, and you start doing it. Or do we sit with people and say, man, you are teaching me more about God, and let me tell you what I have witnessed about Jesus and what about that means for you. And, oh, my gosh, now I'm seeing God work in you who's so different than me. And what does this mean? Do we just see people as the object of our mission, or do we see people as people who are image bearers of God, who God desires to work within just like he works within us, who desires to reside within them, to empower them? Look, no one is outside an invitation from God. But who can we be Peter for? Who's pressing in on the glass? When I asked myself this when I was preparing this message, God, who is like a Cornelius who's like, curious about God, but just do they know if they're welcome in? Do they know what this means? They need to be introduced to Jesus. Who is this? And immediately people came to my mind. But like, what am I doing about it? Because Peter had to go to Cornelius. And I think so many times we can think about these Corneliuses in our life who seem curious, who seem like their face is pressed up against the glass, but we're like, well, when you drop them in my lap, I'll tell them about you. When you drop him in my lap, I'll invite you, I'll invite him into a relationship with Jesus. But Peter had to travel. He had to go to extend an invitation. He had to go become an outsider. Go sit under his roof. Go be a part of his community to invite him in. We have to go to people. But many of us, we love to huddle together, like all the good Jews in the temple. We just huddle together with our good news, with all the other good Jews, and we have like a pep talk on Sundays, and then we go back home, and then we huddle together with our good Jews and our good news all over again. When there are Corneliuses in the city, I remember when we got the phone call to come here, and I will never forget it, because there was just such a like awakening in my heart and my mind of God who are the Corneliuses in Ponca City the city we know nothing about the city we have never been to like who are the Corneliuses when just like Cornelius was crying out to God and God said go get Peter he'll introduce you to me you're curious about me go get Peter he'll introduce you who were those people who are those people in the city who are crying out to God or curious or wondering, and God's like, go get T.D. and Callie. They'll introduce you to me. But we all have those people. Who are those people where they're like, man, go get them. Go get Aaron. Go get Kim. Go get them. They'll introduce you to me. We all have Corneliuses in our life. Look, Ponca City Church has Corneliuses that we are called to introduce and invite into relationship with Jesus. The church of Christ has always been called to spread. 
We have a mission. I love it. He didn't just say, hey, Cornelius, welcome in. Grab a seat. Have a good time. Get a drink. No, he's like, hey, Cornelius, I'm equipping you with the power of the Holy Spirit. So now you too get to go on mission. We are called to get the Corneliuses. And let me tell you, some of the most pushback we get in church by church people is why don't we just huddle together more and have more potlucks and hang out and, like, get all this stuff. But let me tell you, the church of Jesus has never been a social club. It never has been. The church of Jesus is a church on mission going out to the other people where we are no longer the number, we are not the majority, we are the outsider, and we are going to people unlike us and grabbing them and making them a part of the mission so that what they too can go. (laughs) It's not even like Peter and Cornelius started a little club. It said they stayed together a few days and then they both went out and spread. That's the mission of the church, and we can fight it all we want and want to be a social club and want to hang out. Look, we have small groups for community and encouragement, but what? For the mission of spreading, of going out, because that is the heart of God. The heart of God was never for Israel to become a cute little group. The heart of God was for the whole entire world to be reached every single living, breathing person on this planet to know him. And his church, us, is that tool. We're his tool to do that. We're going to end in this ver- or in this little section of scripture in Luke, talking about the Good Samaritan. And it says this in Luke 10, verse 25. It says, on the occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? I love it. We love to do this. Well, give me some rules, you know, like, who's my neighbor? I love that person. But Jesus goes on to say, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And I think we can read this scripture and think like, oh, this is about like, you know, taking the shirt off my back for someone else or like, you know, being kind and being nice and being considerate. But what this verse is about is somebody changing their mindset about a person. Someone changing their mindset about who should be helped and who shouldn't. Because people in this time understood, one, their neighbor was a fellow Israelite. So this guy thought, like, oh, yeah, he's going to tell me to be kind to, like, my neighbor, the fellow Israelite. Nope. (laughs) He's saying be kind to someone that's not in the club. Someone that isn't your fellow Israelite. And the priests at this time believed that if they even were to get near a dead corpse, even if the shadow of a corpse came upon them, that they would now be unclean. So the priest passing by on the other side of the street was following the rules. 
well, I can't risk it. I'm a priest. I can't risk if that person's dead because then I will be unclean. I can't risk my cleanliness for that person. But that sounds a lot like the church today, right? I mean, what will people think if I get caught with, like, that person who might be dead, who's unclean? Pharisees thought that they would be unclean simply by touching the shadow of that person. Also, Jews and Samaritans at this time were very hostile towards one another. So what Jesus is saying here is extremely offensive. He's not saying like, oh, yeah, be considerate of one another. Take the shirt off your back for your neighbor. No, no, he's saying this offensive statement about who is capable of being invited in, who is capable of you bandaging up their wounds, and how it's going to take some sacrifice for you to maybe become unclean, for you to maybe get dirty, for you to maybe be uncomfortable, to be a neighbor. This guy was concerned about who my neighbor is, right? I mean, give me some rules, and how do I keep them? And Jesus is saying, I don't care who your neighbor is. It's anyone. Be a neighbor. Be a neighbor. Go to that person and be a neighbor. Set up shop with them, eat dinner with them, move in right next to them, participate in their life, bandage their wounds, get dirty with them, be a neighbor. And we're so concerned about, well, who's in and who's out and where do they measure up? And God's saying, I don't care. Just be a neighbor. I'm care, I care about what you are doing, your mindset towards people, your mindset about who's welcome. And let's go and be an invitation Go to anyone and everyone. Look, even those we interact with on social media, but our presence on social media communicate an invitation constantly that we are open. And now we, Ponca City Church, me, Callie, my life would be an invitation, not a hindrance. Would we just be a neighbor? My sister... We're going to close with this if the worship team wants to come up, and then I'm going to pray. My sister worked for the State Department for a season, and now she works in some other, I don't know. She lives in Switzerland and is, is part of something. I never can keep up with what her job titles are. But she works with refugees, and at this time she was working really up close with refugees, and she was um, traveling a lot. She would go to Africa and South Sudan and all these places, and she would minister among refugees and help them get help, help them set up for success, helping get resources and money to people who are on the ground helping these refugees. And look, what I'm about to say is not a political statement. This is a people statement. This is a statement about how God sees people and how he asks us to see people. And I never forget the first time there was like a travel ban. It was a while ago at this point, but I was talking to my sister on the phone and she had just got back with working with some people. And as I'm talking to her on the phone about like, well, what do you think about this? Like, you know more than I do. Like, what is your heart or what do you... All she began to talk about is names. She actually began to, like, name names of people that she just left, of people that she knew, of a family who was, she had left there the day before, and they were going to fly out the next day, and she now knew that they couldn't fly out anymore. And she knew their story. She knew the children they have. She knew what they had been through and their experience and the pain they have. And she wasn't caught up in all the hoopla of it all. She was caught up in the fact that, like, I know this person. And I know the pain they're feeling. I know the heartache they're now going through. I know their children and how their children are going to be in danger now. I know them. This person, this outsider, this just refugee, now had a name. A name and a face and children and a story. 
And I can only think like this is what was happening for Peter. There's a Roman centurion who was like far off. I just know him as a Roman centurion. And then he gets in his house, and now the Roman centurion has a name, and it's Cornelius. And not just is Cornelius able to receive salvation, Cornelius is now empowered just like Peter is. The exact same way that the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost and empowered the church to go out, the exact same way the Holy Spirit fell on Jesus and fell on the Jews, now fell on Cornelius, a man with a name and a face and a story. And so my challenge to us today is that people would have names and faces to us. That those people who have maybe become a them in our mind, well, those people, those liberals, those Republicans, that culture, those people groups, those refugees, those lower class, those upper class, that these people would begin to have names and faces because let me tell you, they have names and faces to Jesus. When he died on the cross, he didn't see those people. He saw names and faces. He saw Cornelius. And I love it because he said when Cornelius was crying out and praying, but was clueless to who Jesus was and how to be saved. God said, go get Peter. Peter will introduce you to me. Man, would we be that for people? Would I be someone that God can be like, go get Callie. She'll introduce you. She'll introduce you. But we all get to play that part. We get to put names and faces to the other, the outcast, the ones that we don't really relate to. And we get to invite them in on what we're in on. So let's pray as we close this morning.